This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime and mystery, which you can find every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Don't forget, while you're there, if you'd like to help support this and all of the Relic Radio shows, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes all of this happen. This week, we'll begin with Unit 99 and their episode from November 22nd, 1957, titled Incomplete Phone Call. After that, it's Murder Clinic and the Tragedy at Marsden Manor. That episode aired October 6th, 1942. KMA 907, Sac Metal Police. Unit 99, are you in the clear? Unit 99 to KMA 907. Unit 99, Sergeant Meredith, 909, in service, on the air. This is Sergeant Dan Meredith of Unit 99 at headquarters, Police Department, City of Sacramento, California. My detail is to ride in Unit 99, our tape recorder-equipped radio car, and to respond whenever the dispatcher transmits a signal to one of our other units on duty somewhere in the city. At the scene, we make the recordings which we provide for this program. Now, to tell you more about Unit 99, here is our chief, James V. Hicks, Sacramento Police. We have provided Unit 99 of the Sacramento Police Department, the tape recorder it carries, and the officer in charge, Sergeant Meredith so that you, who depend on your police for protection, can hear them in action, on duty. And what you hear on this radio program is real. No question about it. The suspects are real. The victims are real. Bear this in mind as you hear these cases. Now to Unit 99 and Sergeant Dan Meredith on duty. Unit 7. Incomplete phone call at... An incomplete phone call. Unit 7's on it, on 8th Avenue. We'd better check it out with them. Here they are. Let's go. They've gone inside. Oh, hello, Sergeant. This? Oh, this is a uh, family argument. <laughs> I was getting ready to go sleep in the car. <laughs> he was going to sleep in the car. She called us because of he, she claims that he struck her. And uh, she called us, and uh, she doesn't seem to be too agreeable to what uh, No, I certainly don't. Do. I think he, he should wants. be got out, gotten out of the house. Well, I, I think these, these men have a lot yes, to do. Yes, you certainly, you agree awful good when somebody... family beef. Now, I'll go sleep in the car, and you go to bed, or if you want to go out, you go ahead and go. I mean, We you... have a nine-year-old son that had to be dragged out of the house because of you. I have an uncle and aunt who stand by me. They're spending the night. He's spending the night with them. Yes, I guess he is because of you. No, no. Who do you think you're trying to kid? Gentlemen, I know you, you have a lot to do. You two are married, I presume. I hope we are. Oh, I wish I'd never been, but I guess we are. Well, what's this all about, anyway? It's just a family... How long have you been married? How long have you been married? We have a son nine years old. About ten years. Where's the son at now? He's over my aunt's house for protection. If you like, I'd I'd, I'd call on the on the phone and get him on the phone. Oh, yes, right. I we'll wouldn't call if I were you. We'll take your word for the fact and that he's verified, right. verified that uh, he was left there tonight. 
For protection. No, not for protection, uh, dear. Are you uh, worried about what this man might do? Yes, I am. I've got marks on my face. I've got makeup on now. I've got marks all over my arms for what now, he did to me tonight. You don't understand. You've got a little loaded tonight. Yes, I got you a little loaded. You to go out, and I uh, said oh. just go. All right, we had a family squall, right? Now, why don't now you look. just go out of this house? Just leave. All right, I'll go oh, sleep I, in the uh, car. Where did she want to go? Did she want to go out without you, you mean? Yes, that was... Uh, now, look, that's my business. We were called in to settle a disturbance, man. That's exactly what you've done. On. Now, you can just take him well, out of here. With an attitude like you have, we'll have to stay here the rest of the night. Toby, you, you can just sit here and make your mind up what you want to do. No, it doesn't make any difference to me. Well, it certainly does to me. I have some coffee right inside there. You care to drink a cup of coffee? Oh, no, let's, let's calm down. Maybe, maybe we can... Now, look, this is my husband. I know what he does to me. Granted, you don't. Granted, granted. All right, then don't you stand there and tell me what I'm you're doing. I'm telling you what you, you keep your hands off me. I'll leave the house. You, you, uh... Go uh, can if we you want to or whatever you want to do, honey. I'll just go out and sleep. No, he was stopping. He was yanking the phone out of the wall. It was a threat. A threat? Strictly a Would th you like to see a few marks about a threat? All right, you're going on getting the car. Yeah, I think that'd be better. Yeah. Maybe we can settle this without too much excitement. I know you're a little, little alarmed. I'm mad. Is there anything that you wish us well, to do? don't hurt him. He's just... We'll hurt him. We're not here to hurt well, anybody. Just, just get him away, that's well, all. Well, we can't, we can't do that. We just get him away from here. I don't want him around me, that's all. I had to take my son out of the way tonight. Now, think this over before you answer. Do you want us to take this man down and have him arrested? Do you wish to prefer charges against him for assault and battery or something similar to that? I should. Well, it's entirely up to you. It's not up to us. Has this same sort of thing occurred before? Yes, it has. Often? Yes, I've got marks all over me. I've had the police over here two or three times. Mm -hmm. Has there been anything done about it as no, far as you're No, I just... Look, we've been married for 11 no, years. I understand that. He drinks quite a bit. Look, I'm, I'm no angel. I work, and I drink quite a bit, too. But, I mean, let's face it. I've got a son almost 10 years old that has the faces all the time. Because I've got marks. I've got my face to show for it. I go to work with black eyes. Well, here's something you might do. You might... Think this over until Monday. You have all day tomorrow. Think it over until He's Monday. He's going to be it. The thing is, he bothers me. If I try to make him leave, like tonight, he was going to yank the telephone out of the wall. Is he living here now at the present time? Well, of course. He's my husband. No, true, true. All right. Uh, there's only, as I, as I see it, there's only one thing, uh, one alternative, one of two alternatives. Either to arrest him right now or to wait until Monday morning and see the city prosecutor to send and a complaint to side. I, I mean, I know I can do that. I've been told that before. Well, our hands are tied for anything else other than that. I don't want to hurt him. I, I, I just don't know what to do. See, we can't take him without... He always looks so innocent. Every time somebody comes around, he stands there like he's so peaceful. Well, then there's only one alternative. And that's going to be up to you to decide. What am I going to tell his son? That I threw his father in jail? Well, if his father, if it was necessary to protect you Has and the boy... Has anyone got a cigarette? I don't have any. If it was necessary to protect you and the boy, why, uh, that's the thing. Well, now, look. Look at my face. Well, I... I it's, well, now, just take a good look. You can see. You see one mark below your eye, yeah. Well, just take a good look. I've got makeup on now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you wish us to do? If I throw him in jail, I'll probably bail him out. Well, that's up to you. I've done it before. I threw him in jail and bailed him out. Well, that's happened many times before. Well, I'll tell you, well, here's something we might try. I mean, just try. 
Uh, keep the doors and windows locked. Oh. Well, listen to what I have to say first. Uh, keep the doors and windows locked. Uh, he said he's going to sleep in the car. I don't know whether to believe him or not. I haven't lived with the man. But if he bothers you then, if he attempts to come into the house, then call us again. And then if we'll see just how sincere he is about sleeping out there in the car. And if he attempts to come in again, we'll we'll take whatever action. The minute I walk out of this door, I can't stand any more of it. The minute I walk out of this house, he'll try and kill me. I kid you not, he will. Well, you know him better than I do. But uh, that's... Uh, I think you're very good man. Well, why don't you try the suggestion that I made all right. first? I'll try it. Family arguments like this are all in the night's work for a patrol car officer. They handle many such cases and quite frequently act as unofficial marriage counselors. This time the lady left, for the night at least. Unit 99. 99, go ahead. 940 at 24th Avenue and Stockton Boulevard, 99. 940, Roger. Check 99, give me another step. 940, call out on Stockton Boulevard. I don't know what it is, but we better get out there. We're out on Stockton Boulevard, about 25th Avenue. Detectives Fox and uh, Sergeant Lyons of the Detective Bureau is talking with Officer Lopez. Seems to be having a conference too with some citizen over there. Later, if, uh, if uh, this thing works out, they're going to monitor the phone here tomorrow night. Well, what, uh, what's the deal out here? Well, this man has received two threatening phone calls. He working in a service station, and the man threatened the safety of his wife unless he left some the entire proceeds of the station out in the field alongside the station. Uh -huh. And uh, that was two nights ago, and then tonight he received another call, and the man told him that he hadn't done what he was told, and he was going to learn better. So naturally, the father's pretty, pretty uh, upset about it all. He has his wife with him tonight, as a matter of fact, because he didn't want to leave her alone. What was the request for, the amount of money? Well, when the phone rang well, <clears throat> the first time, which was Monday night, well, uh, he said... Uh, how much you think you're right? And I said, quite a lot, aren't you? And uh, he said, listen to me. He said, if you think anything over it all, he said, you better do just as I tell you. And I said, well, what do you want? And six guys in the station at the time, they're in truck drivers and all. See? And I said, well, <clears throat> he said, uh, I want you to take all the money that you got in your pocket and all that you got in a register. And I want you to put it in a sack and I want you to take it around the side of the building. And I don't know where somebody was going to be at the side of the building. I don't know what. I mean, I, I didn't wait. By that time I was shook up, I thought he had my wife, see? Because there's nobody to leave her with and she was, I left her home by herself, see? So by that time I thought he had her and I had all I could take, see? And I said, wait a minute. I just dropped the phone to Johnny, the guy that's in there now, picked it up. And he said, hello? And the guy says, I don't want to talk to you. He said, just tell that other guy you better do just as I said. And he hung the phone up. So tonight, when I wanted my wife to go to her mother's and stay like off work, well, she wouldn't do it. She wasn't scared. She wasn't going no place. And so I, we got in a big argument, and I made her go, see. Well, she went, and she come back at a few minutes to 10. She pulled the car up right there, and I walked out. And I said, come on inside and go and get her some coffee. She said, no, I'm going home. I said, I don't want you to go home now. I said, I don't want to take a chance. I'll be worried to death till I get home. And she says, well, I'm going. And I insisted she didn't take the car, and that was it. So she didn't go. She sat here and waited. Mad. At five minutes to 12, the phone rang again. I picked the phone up, and I 
just knew it was him when I picked it up. The guy said, hey, young fella, why didn't you do like I told you the other night? And I said, wait a minute. I was going to try to keep him on the line, see, because I had another phone there. I got two phones there. And I said, wait a minute. When I said that, he said, you're going to learn better. And he hung, just slammed the phone down. By that, that time, I called the police. That was the, this evening, about an hour ago. Yeah, five minutes to 12. Well, I'm scared to death of walking my, in my yard. Either way I go, I got blind corners to go in. Well, you don't have any idea. I guess if you did, you would yeah, tell us who it might be. Time. I ain't never been in no trouble. I ain't never had a fight. I've been in Sacramento six years. I worked at one place over four years. I've been here five months. I've lived over here three months. And I ain't never, as far as I know, I ain't got an enemy in the world. Nobody. Well, Lopes, if you hear of anything, give us a buzz on it. They're going to watch the station, and they're also going to watch his home, which is in the same district. Uh, well, if there are any developments, give us a buzz. We'll call you, yeah. Although this case looked serious on the surface, there was no further threatening calls. It was apparently a case of a crank or a jokester. Units 25 and 28. 901 at 42nd Street and 14th Avenue. An accident at 42nd and 14th Avenue. Traffic units 25 and 28 got the call. We're going down 14th Avenue right now, just about three blocks away. Let's go down and see if we can help out. This boy here was running away from the scene of the accident. I had to chase him and catch him. <laughs> Why are you running away, son? You're ru wanting to run away? Don't hear me. Come on, stand up now. Let me lay, please. You're a nice man, but don't let it hurt me. That won't hurt you. Turn it around. He's a kid about 14, 15 years old. Smells like he's been drinking. You been drinking tonight, son? Smoking, no, I Yeah, he was just taking all over the country. He's just a kid, isn't he? Yeah. Okay, now I'm wrong with you, but don't let me. We won't hurt you. Just take it easy. Everything's going to be well, all right. Uh, when he went up in the lawn and fell over, I went and tried to investigate him. See, uh -huh. and he jumped up and went to running, and I couldn't run after him. No. Well, was, uh, was he involved in this accident? No, there was no accident here. Well, what seemed to be the trouble? We got oh, I was trying an to... accident. How old is the officer? How old are you, about 14, son? <laughs> huh? You look like something could be done. How old are you? Don't me. Now, no use carrying on like this. We're here to find out what this is all about. No use carrying on like that. Well, don't hurt me. Nobody's hurt. Like, I know that car is a 1957 Chevrolet. Do you live around here, son? <laughs> I think we better well, put I wonder who would make car. a young kid like that drunk. Get him I don't know. We're going to have to find That's the out. Thing probably coming from the bulking. How is that, son? Is that better? <laughs> no, Let me see your head. You can get in the No, gee, no, I got a boy, 12 years old. I think they like to have Isn't that terrible? Sure. Like How old that. are you, son? Huh? I bet he's over 14. That's too bad. Oh, he's already <laughs> Come on, sonny, get up. Let's get up and get in the car. I know you're sitting down there, lying on the street. Let's get over to that. Oh, Clark. That Come on. Let go of me. Let go. 
Honey, where do you live? That's my business. Where do you live, son? Never you mind. Just let me alone. Uh, we're trying to help you, son. You, we can't help you unless you help us. You just keep your hands off and I'll let you see it. Nobody's touching you at all, son. Then shove me away so I can get the thumb rust on my head. There you are. And I'll help you. Now, where do you live, sonny? Now, let me see that for a while. Where do you live, son? And get these people away. Where do you live? Can't you tell me where you live? I can tell you if you give me these people away. Okay. Let's go. They're all gone now, son. Let me see your hands. Oh, I can't see if you don't hold it still. Okay. Dead right now? No, I've got to wait for a couple hours. You want to wait for a couple of hours? Then we've got to sleep. Where do you live, son? Oh, I get messed up, Dad. What'd you say, son? They are bad. Please, please. You better my wife unless you want to listen about my mom and dad. They are bad. No, your mother and father aren't bad. Yes. Well, why do you do these things then? <laughs> huh? Because I want to. Have you drank before? Yes. And where did you get it tonight? From people. Look, if I tell them, it's them. They won't let me do it again, but they won't let me. They won't never like me. Well, the people that gave you the whiskey? Huh? Come on now, tell me. Oh, let me rest. Let me rest. <laughs> Who gave you this whiskey, son? No, I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to tell me? I'm not going to tell you. You want me to take you home like you are? Take me home. Tell Have you ever been in trouble before, son? If you just let me alone for 25, 45 minutes, 75 minutes. Have you ever been in trouble before? Well, just you shut your mouth? All right, son. Was there an accident? No, there's no, no uh, accident. Oddwell no. and uh, Ingram, we just a couple of blocks away when the call come in, we thought we'd come over and see if we could assist. When we got here, this young boy ran across the highway onto the grasser and fell staggered up and went across this street and I caught him on the other side and evidently he has been drinking quite a bit Which he hasn't car? been able he's not uh, involved in any car at all no accident it just happened all. to be two cars over there one pushing the other and I guess somebody evidently thought that it was an accident that's why they phoned in so this boy here happened to be around the scene at the time and this condition as you can see he's uh, he's pretty pretty well how old well, is he he's 13 here's his identification He's very belligerent. He won't tell me anything. <clears throat> so I think we ought to get him home. What's your name, fella? I'm not going to tell you. Well, well nobody's going to hit you. you. Why don't you sit up here and sit talk to him? Talk. Not well. Hmm? You can talk to him. Huh? Sit up here and talk. Wait now. Huh? Wait. Wait for what? You know how to spell it. What have you been drinking? Huh? Now, would you wait a minute before you ask me any questions? Yeah. Okay. Can you tell us where you got this? Would you wait, I said. All right. How long do you want us to wait? I don't know. Well, what have you been drinking? Vodka. Vodka? Where'd you get the vodka? I don't know. You don't know? Mm -hmm. How old are you? Thirteen. He's thirteen, not well. Mm -hmm. You want us to take you home now? 
Yes. Well, what are you doing over in this neighborhood in the first place? I must have been over here. Where? Oh, of course. Hi, Dan. Hello, Jane. See the people calling us? No, I happened to come here at the time, found this little devil this, this way. Yeah. Did you get to... Uh, drinking vodka. He's been drinking vodka, Dennis, and uh, Green, that's what he's been telling us. Been drinking vodka, huh? Well, this is the second case of vodka we've had right around here. Uh, juvenile officers, uh, Merle Green and Dennis, are taking the young boy over to the county hospital to have him checked out. We're afraid that possibly he might consume uh, too much alcohol for his own good and also clean him up before they contact the parents. We're en route over there now. Did you get in touch with the parents, Green? Yeah, I called the uh, father, uh, Dan, and uh, he's going to come right over here, meet us in the hospital. Uh, I don't know the boys are intoxicated. I don't believe that we should take more to the juvenile hall mm -hmm. because they have no way of handling them over there and possibly we'll turn them over to the parents. Mm -hmm. Are you going to make a report on it? Oh, yeah, there'll definitely be a report. He was running and fell at one time or another. He has a gravel sore. Yes, he did fall. Here. I was chasing him. Did you see yeah. him when he did? Yeah. Yes, uh, you're the boy's mother and father. He's right back here. The, uh, I think better to keep him here tonight. He's had a little too much to drink. He's not bad. He's just intoxicated. Okay. Well, give it to me. Well, we went to put him in the car. He kicked and fought and churned and cussed. I want to know the works. I, I've never, we've never had any trouble before. No, I don't no we know that. Who we're interested in is who gave it to him. Well, that's what we want to find out, too. Do you have any around the house? We always have it around the house. There's never any missing. We'd like you to get as much information as you can from him, and then we want you to see Captain Gessner at the juvenile Monday morning. And we're going to make out a report and give it to him. And then he'll come in Monday morning and talk to Captain Gessner. And all the information you can get, Concerning where he got this uh, whiskey or vodka or whatever he's been drinking, it will help us out because we've had a couple complaints out there of juveniles drinking, and we've uh, we've taken a couple into juvenile right hall. Right in that Right, well, within a block from came there. Came from the same school. Same school. All the kids would go to the same place. Well, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, what do you want to do? Well, we want to do whatever right for you. Doc, how is the boy now? Well, the boy's still a little bit disoriented and belligerent, but he appears alert and not completely unconscious. He seems in pretty good shape. Is he going home? Well, I think the best thing to do would be to send him home uh, in the custody of the parents. A 13-year-old boy intoxicated, weeping, hysterical, sick and belligerent. Not a very pretty picture, was it? As a matter of fact, it was horrible and rather frightening and not the first such case to come to the attention of the juvenile division. In this instance, however, the boy was not given the liquor by adults. A friend of the same age stole a bottle of vodka from the place where he worked and shared it with the boy we picked up. He was released to his parents. This is Unit 99, presented in cooperation with Station KFBK in Sacramento, California. These on-the-scene tape recordings were provided by the Sacramento Police Department and were made on duty by Sergeant Dan Meredith in Unit 99. Your host is Chief James V. Hicks of the Sacramento Police Department.
907, Sacramento Police. Unit 99, are you in the clear? Unit 99 to KMA 907. Unit 99, Sergeant Meredith, 909, in service, on the air. Unit 99 has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Murder Clinic, stories of the world's great detectives of fiction, Men Against Murder. Each week at this time, WOR Mutual turns the spotlight on one of the great figures of crime detection and brings you his most exciting case. Tonight, Agatha Christie's unique detective, Hercule Poirot, in the tragedy at Marsden Manor. Evening, Monsieur Poirot. I'd recognize you anywhere, I think, thanks to those magnificent mustachios of yours. Merci bien. They are very magnificent, no? They are indeed. Tell me, did they help you solve the tragedy at Marsden Manor? No. It was the little gray cells in the brain of the great Hercule Poirot that prevented this great miscarriage of justice in the death of Richard Maltravers of Marsden Manor. It all began in the little village of Marsden Lee, less than a hundred kilometers from London. Coming? Yes, yes, what is it? Be you Dr. Bernard? Yes, I am. Come quick, the master's done for. You mean Mr. Maltravers of the manor? Aye, the master. The mistress, she says, fetch the doctor, she says. But it beant no use. He's a dead un. I knows a dead un when I see him. What was it, man? An accident? No, beat no accident. I found him in the lower meadow, with the blood running out of his mouth. Be a stroke. A stroke? That's what it be. Well, hurry, man, hurry, man, let go. Come, come now, Mrs. Meltravers. You must get hold of yourself. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. After all, we are all of us mortal. But, but why, Richard? He was so good, so kind. Why did this have to happen to him? Oh, come, come, please. He's so well, so full of life. Why, only last week he passed a medical examination for insurance. How could he have died so suddenly? Doctor, what happened? The hemorrhage. Due to stomach ulcers, undoubtedly, resulting in a stroke. Ah, bonjour, Mr. Hyde. Hello, Poirot. You know my good friend, Captain Hastings, no? Good morning, Captain Hastings. Good morning, sir. Well, Poirot, you got my message, I see. I did. What is it that disturbs you, mon ami? Richard Maltravers dies, and you send for Poirot. What was the cause of Monsieur Maltravers' death? The death certificate says a hemorrhage resulting in a stroke due to stomach ulcers. But surely you did not bring Papa Poirot here to talk of the stomach ulcers. These Richard Maltravers had taken out the insurance policy in your company, no? And what a policy. For 50,000 pounds? Well, a good square sum, that, huh? Hmm. 
Rather. So, what is it you wish me to do? It's unfortunate for your company, but everything seems, uh, how you say, uh, open and above the plank, no? <laughs> no, Puerto. Open and above board. Ah, my good friend, the great tastings. Always he corrects the English of Hercule Poirot. <laughs> Monsieur Wright, I ask you, do I not speak the English of a, of a super? <laughs> you do indeed. But to get back to your previous question, what my company wishes you to do is to investigate the circumstances of Mr. Malcava's death. So, what is it you suspect, mon ami? Well, of course, you know, in the case of suicide, the policy is invalid. Yes. And when a man past the prime of life takes out an unusually large policy in favor of a young wife half his age and then dies within two weeks, the possibility of suicide cannot be ignored. Oh, certainly, mon ami. But suicide by hemorrhage? That is a queer saucepan of fish. Now, if the cause of death had been heart failure, ah, then I would smell a mouse. Heart failure can always mean that a, a stupid doctor did not find the true cause. But hemorrhage, ma foi, hemorrhage is, well, uh, uh, hemorrhage. Exactly. <laughs> Nevertheless, we are determined to proceed with the matter. You will undertake the inquiry? But, of course. Hastings, that great professor of English, shall go with me. <laughs> hey, mon ami? <laughs> Gladly, Poirot. Bien. Now. Where is this place, this Marsden Manor? You take the Great Eastern Line from Liverpool Station to the little town of Marsden Lee. Marsden Manor is about a mile from the village. Mm, Marsden Lee. All right, Hastings, we go. This is Marsden Lee, eh? I hope we can get a conveyance up to the manor. Ticket, ticket, sir. Ah, here you are, my friend. I suppose you'll be coming down for the funeral, sir. Funeral? Uh, what funeral? Uh, you say you made a funeral of Master Maltravers. About oh. the manor. Oh, you say the manor. Uh, could that be Marsden Manor? Aye, it be. That is a odd coincidence. Uh, my friend and I, we have come down with a thought of uh, buying this Marston Manor. You couldn't pay me to live there, you couldn't. Why not? It'd be haunted. Haunted? I haunted. Seen things there, folks, says. Yeah, we should see. Now, could you tell us where uh, Dr. Bernard lives? Aye, up yon hill, about half a mile. Well, come, Hastings. <laughs> Dr. Bernard, that you signed the death certificate of a Mr. Richard Maltravers. Yes, I did. You understand, Doctor, with such a big policy, we must make the careful investigation. Of course, of course. I suppose he was such a rich man, his life was insured for a big sum. Hmm? You consider him a rich man, Doctor? No, was he not? He kept two cars, you know, and Marsden Manor is a pretty big place to keep up. Mm. Although I believe he bought it very cheaply. I understand he had had uh, considerable losses of late. Mm, that's so, indeed. Mm. It's fortunate for his widow, then, that there is this insurance. Yes, yes. Very beautiful and charming young creature, but terribly unstrung by this sad catastrophe. I've tried to spare her all I could. 
But of course the shock has been very great. Why shock? These ulcers of the stomach, uh, they are what uh, you call chronic, yes. Eh? yes. They are not sudden. No. Did you not attend uh, Mr. Maltravers before, Doctor? My dear sir, I never attended him. What? I understand Mr. Maltravers was a member of a faith-healing sect. But you examined the body? Certainly. I was fetched by one of the under-gardeners. And the cause of death was clear? Absolutely. There was blood on the lips, but most of the bleeding must have been internal. He had not been moved? No, no. The body hadn't been touched. He had evidently been out shooting crows, and a long-barreled bird gun lay beside him. The hemorrhage must have occurred quite suddenly. Gastric ulcers, without a doubt. He could not have been shot, huh? My dear sir, I beg pardon. But I remember once a doctor who said heart failure until the constable showed him a bullet wound for the head. Mm, you mm. will find no bullet wounds on the body or head of Mr. Maltravers. Now, gentlemen, if there's nothing further, uh, I... Thank you, doctor. Uh, uh, just one more thing. You saw no need for the autopsy, huh? Certainly not. Cause of death was perfectly clear. In my profession, we see no need to distress unduly the relatives of a dead patient. Now, gentlemen, if you'll pardon me, good day. Well, Hastings, what do you think of our good Dr. Bernard? <laughs> Bit of an old fool. Precisely. Your judgments of character are always profound, mon ami. Except where a young and beautiful woman is concerned. So now you must uh, mind your cues and peas, because the good doctor has said that the next one we see is both young and beautiful. This Madame Maltravers. Madame Maltravers, I cannot tell you how I am sorry to bother you in this way. Must I be bothered now? I know nothing about this insurance of my husband's. Courage, Madame, it is necessary. I will do all to make this matter not too unpleasant for you. I, Hercule Poirot, swear it. Now, if you would recount briefly the sad events of last Wednesday, huh? Well, I was changing for tea when the maid came up. One of the gardeners had just run up to the house. He'd found Richard. Oh, I comprehend. Enough. You had seen your husband earlier in the afternoon? No, not since lunch. I've walked down to the village for some sense. I believe he was out pottering around the grounds. Uh, shooting the crows, no? Yes, so I understand. He usually took his bird gun with him. In fact, I heard one or two shots at a distance. So? Where is this bird gun now? I, in the gun cabinet over there, I suppose. With your permission, madame. Yeah, here it is. Ah. Two shots fired, I see. And now, madame, a delicate question. Monsieur Maltravers, your husband, is awaiting burial, I believe. Yes. He's lying in his room. Uh, if I might see? Why, yes, of course. It'd be the first room at the top of the stairs. You'll forgive me if I don't go with you. What, of course. Hastings, you remain here with madame. Do you think Mr. Poirot will understand why I didn't go with him? I can assure you, Mrs. Maltravers, Poirot is most sympathetic. I don't doubt it, Mr. Hastings. I only wish there was more that I could tell you. Oh, I understand. And I wonder, Mrs. Maltravers, if you could tell me one thing. Oh, yes? Well, the station master, an odd character named Volk, said something about Marsden Manor being haunted. Marsden Manor haunted? 
Surely you're joking, Mr. Hastings. Oh, no, no, I assure you. He told us that people have seen things. We must have been referring to my my humble experiments in extrasensory perception. I've always been tremendously intrigued by that subject, and doubtless some of our servants have been gossiping. Madame, you are mediumistic. How fascinating. Oh, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, Mr. Poirot. I've dabbled a bit, that's all. So? I've managed uh, table levitation and simple things like that. Mm. But I suppose to the simple rustics around here, it looks like black magic. Very interesting. Under kinder circumstances, I would implore a demonstration. Why, are you interested in such things, Mr. Poirot? All fields of knowledge interest the great Poirot. Uh, Poirot, don't you think perhaps we'd better... Oh, I forgot, madame. Uh, I thank you for your so great courtesy. I do not think you need be bothered any further by the matter. Uh, by the way, do you know anything of your husband's financial position? Nothing, whatever, I'm afraid. I'm very stupid about business. I see. Then you can give us no clue as to why your husband suddenly decided to insure his life. Oh, was it sudden? I'm sure I don't know. Enfin. And now, with your permission, madame, we will go. Hastings? Oh, uh, I'll see you for the door. Merci. Oh, uh, just one more thing, madame. Could you tell me, when they found Mr. Maltravers, did they find him unshod uh, without the shoes? Why, really, Mr. Poirot, I, I don't understand. <laughs> it is nothing. It does not matter. And now, madame, adieu. Oh, but look, you have another visitor. Someone is coming up to walk, huh? Archie! Hello, you! Why, I, I thought you were on your way back to Australia. Yes, I was. But I read the news of Uncle's death in Paris and hurried back. Emily, my dear, is there anything I can do for you? Anything? Oh, of course not. What could you do? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. Uh, Mr. Poirot, this is Captain Black, my husband's nephew. Uh, Captain Black, Mr. Hastings. How down? Emily, how did this happen? Uncle seemed perfectly well when I was here Monday night. You've evidently read the papers, Archie. You must know what happened. But they gave no details, just the bare notice of his death. What happened? Archie, I... I just can't go through all that again. Yes, Captain Black, I'm afraid my friend and I... We have disturbed, madame. What are you doing here? I am Hercule Poirot. The Hercule Poirot. Uh, Mr. Poirot is from the insurance company, Archie. That's just why I've come back. To protect you from annoyances like you this. You shouldn't have risked your job, Archie. If you left right away, you might still get to Paris in time to make your boat train. Uh, you say Paris, mon capitaine. You go to Australia by way of Paris? Why, yes. I intended taking the Orient Express from there and pick up the Pacific Mail at Port Said. Ah, oui. That shortens the journey, does it not? You are staying here, Captain Black? Yes, I'm staying at the Pig and Thistle. That's the inn down in the village. Aye, village inn. It serves the roast beef, no? Why, yes, I suppose so. Good. So, Hastings, let us try this roast beef at the pig and thistle, huh? All right, Poirot. Now you've had your roast beef. Hadn't we better be getting back to London? No, not so fast, my good Hastings. London, she will not run away. But uh. this Captain Black, he may do so. A garçon, garçon. For heaven's sake, Poirot. English inns don't have garçons. No? Then who is it who approaches? What do you have, Governor? For my friend, the dictionary. For me, a, a bock. <laughs> he means beer, George. I mean the ale. Right, Governor. Uh, 
You've been up at the manor, sir? I? I mean, yes, we have. A sad business, that. I knew no good had come of it as soon as they took the manor. Uh, you mean this, uh, Valtravers? Uh, they were not popular? Well, uh, not that, Governor. He was a bit too old for her, if you know what I mean. Awesome. She might better have married the nephew. At least, Rachel, I'll bet a bob the nephew thought so. Ah, there has been the gossip, huh? Oh, I wouldn't go so far as that, Gavney. But he did hang around a bit. And the husband, uh, Mr. Maltravers? He object? Not as I knows of, Gavney. But I is my opinion, I is. Mm. Without the doubt, it is the worst opinion, no, George? But, ah, the Captain Black, here he comes now. Hello, Poirot, here you are. Oh, Captain Black, come, will you not join us? Bark, perhaps? Yes, thanks, I don't mind if I do. Wait, a mug of ale. Oh, no, Governor. Sad business, this death of your uncle, huh? Yes, and so sudden, too. He seemed in excellent health when I dined with him Monday night. So? And was he also in good spirits? What did he say? What was the talk at this dinner Monday night? Oh, I don't know. The usual general topics. I see. My uncle asked about my people. We talked of Australia. Yes. Then Mrs. Maltravers asked a lot of questions about East Africa, where I've spent some time. I told them one or two yarns. That's about all, I think. Madame Maltravers uh, seems much upset at the death of her husband, no? Naturally. They'd been married less than a year. So I hear. A remarkable woman, this lady. Remarkable in what way? What do you mean? She has, uh, how you say, the seeing eye. I hear her tell Hastings. She does the seance. He seems most interested, no, Hastings? Oh, I, I wouldn't go so far as that. Uh, always the conservative Hastings. Me, I, I am not so. Well, Mr. Poirot, don't tell me you believe in this psychic stuff. Oh, I have not the closed mind. For example, Captain Black, you have told us all that your conscious self knows. Now. With your permission, I would question your subconscious, huh? Psychoanalysis, eh? Well, it's nonsense, but I don't mind. Merci. It is like this. I give you a word. You answer with another word. Any word. The first word you think of. Eh bien. Shall we begin? Go ahead. Hey, things. Note yeah. down the words, please. Very well, Paul. Now. Day. Night. Name. Place. Bernard. Shore. Monday. Dinner. Journey. Ship. Country. Uganda. Story. Lions. Bird gun. Farm. Shot. Suicide. Elephant. Tusks. Money. Lawyers. So, that is all. You are a good subject, mon capitaine. You don't mean to tell me that rigmarole means anything to you? Maybe not. But nevertheless, you are a good subject. <laughs> well, if you don't need me anymore, I think I'll go upstairs and unpack. Shall I see you again before you leave, Mr. Poirot? Yes, I should not be surprised. Good. See you later. Au revoir, mon capitaine. And now, my clever Hastings, you see it all, no? Well, I don't know what you mean, Poirot. Does that list of words tell you nothing? Sorry, I'm afraid it doesn't. Then I will assist you. To begin with, the Capitan answered within the time limit. No pauses, no making up the mind. Yeah. Day to night and place to name are normal associations. 
Then I give him Bernard, the name of the doctor. If he knew him, oh. evidently he does not. When I say Bernard, he says sure. Monday means dinner, country as Uganda. Story recalls the lion story he tells them. All uh, natural. But now, notice. When I mention bird gun, I get the unexpected answer, farm. When I say shot, he answers at once, suicide. A man he knows commits suicide with a bird gun on a farm somewhere. Imbecile that I am! The great Hercule Poirot is, is hoodwinked. What are you talking about? Do you not see his things? That is the story the Captain Black told at the dinner Monday night. Oh, I see. And you think that gave Maltravers the idea? You think he shot himself in the mouth with that bird gun? Why not? Remember, the bird gun has a very tiny charge of powder. The bullet would remain lodged in the brain. All that would show would be the blood in the mouth. Come, Hastings. It is not too late. Of course, but, but where? To see once more this dead man, to Marsdon Manor. Hastings, to Marsdon Manor. Alas, Mrs. Malpervers, it is true. Your husband shot himself through the mouth with the bird gun. You mean suicide? It would seem so, madame. The insurance. Naturally, madame, the suicide will void the policy. It is unfortunate, but what will you? Oh, but this is impossible. My husband would never commit suicide. It's, it's inconceivable. What the evidence, madame? It is conclusive. No, there must be some other explanation. You mean uh, murder, madame? Well, of course, that is always possible. But no, no, not likely, I'm afraid. But you do admit it's possible. You just said it was possible. Yes, of course, everything is possible. Have you any idea who might have wished to kill your husband? Why, no. No, I haven't. Madame, I have a suggestion. It is bizarre, no doubt, but perhaps if you are willing to help. Oh, yes, yes, of course, anything. Madame, you are mediumistic. Perhaps if you would try, perhaps you could... Perhaps you're right. Perhaps I could get through to Richard. He might tell us what happened. I am sure you could do it, madame. Yes, yes, I'll do it. Uh, come back here tonight at eight and bring Captain Black with you. Eh bien, madame, I am sure you will succeed. Until eight, madame, au revoir. Hello? The World Theatrical Agency? Henri Dubois. Uh, this is Hercule Poirot. Dear mon ami, Henri, I have a part for you. For one appearance only. Oui, oui, as always. Now listen closely. This is what I wish you to do. Dr. Bernard, this is Hercule Poirot. Tell me, doctor, when you saw Mr. Maltravers after this talk, did he have on the shoes? He did? Hello, Scotland Yard. Inspector Jap, please. Hello, Jap. Uh, this is Poirot. Quite well, thank you. Inspector, I think I have a murderer for you. No, no, there is no time to explain. 
Bill. We are on time, as you see. Hastings and I have brought Captain Black with us. I say the, the bad storm coming up. Would that interfere with the experiment? Certainly not, Mr. Hastings. This isn't mumbo-jumbo. The weather has nothing to do with it. Well, well. Let us proceed, huh? Uh, yes, yes. Now, uh, will you draw chairs up around this table, please? Uh, now, Mr. Hastings, if you'll put out the lights. Certainly. Now, remain perfectly quiet, please. No matter what you hear or see. Richard. Richard. Can you hear me, Richard? Can you hear me? If you can, rap. Rap three times. Did you hear that? Ah, but of course, madame. Did you not tell him to rap three times? That's how Richard always used to knock. Perhaps he is outside. No. They say the suicide never rests, always returns. Listen. What was that? The front door slammed. What? No, Captain Black. It was but the thunder. Where are I? I hear footsteps. Oh. It's the wind, madame. I will close the door. Ah, I have locked it. Uh, don't do that. If it should open now. I hope it is open. I see nothing, madame. I saw him, I tell you. My husband, you must have seen him too. Look. She's right. He is there. His hand. Look, it's pointing. What's that light coming from? It's pointing at her. What did you... Her hand. Her right hand. It is scarlet with blood. Blood! Yes, it's blood. I killed him. I said it. Take him away. Take him away. Light. Good heavens, Poirot, she's got away through that window. Do not worry, mon capitaine. The good inspector Jap outside will stop her. Good heavens, that lovely creature, a murderer. And a very clever one, my susceptible Hastings. After all, she could not know she would come up against the great Hercule Poirot. And she might even have fooled me if she had only taken off his shoe. His shoe, Poirot? Only with his toe. Could he himself have pulled the trigger of this bird gun? And parbleu, his shoes were still on when they found him. But I don't understand. This seance, was it all fake? Mais certainement. She meant to pull the sheep. Ah, wool. Very well, wool. But it was I who pulled the sheep's wool over her eyes. Thanks to my good friend Henri Dubois, who played the part of the husband's ghost. And Papa Poirot, who put the red paint on her hand in the dark. But what was her idea in having the sails? Parbleu, mon capitaine, do you not see? Madame, she will go into the trance. She will hear the voice. She will come out from the trance. She will, with a great reluctance, name the murderer. You mean she meant to confess? Mais non, mon capitaine. She meant to name you.
You have been listening to Murder Clinic. Murder Clinic, the WOR Mutual series which brings to you each week one exciting case. Tonight, the tragedy of Marsden Manor with Agatha Christie's unique detective, Hercule Poirot, played by Maurice Toplam. Next week, Murder Clinic will bring you Fred Irving Anderson's Deputy Farr, the Vermont farmer who became chief of the Homicide Bureau in New York City. Deputy Parr, the man with the nose for murder. The story is Gulfstream Green, in which the deputy proves that conceit of murderers is colossal. Original music was composed by Ralph Barnhart and conducted by Bob Stanley. This program was an international exchange feature over the coast-to-coast network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Tales told on Murder Clinic are adaptations by authors Lee Wright and John A. Bassett. Murder Clinic is produced under the direction of Alvin Flanagan. Frank Knight speaking. This is Mutual. That's case closed for this week. You can find more from Unit 99 and Murder Clinic at relicradio.com alongside all the other podcasts and our Shoutcast stream. Lots to listen to all for free thanks to your support. Remember, if you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of those links. Thanks again to everyone who has helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Talk to you again next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. (laughs) 